tonight. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I'm, uh, I'm excited for this study as we begin looking at the book of 1 John. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just give me uh, insight and inspiration, and then you anoint uh, my preparation, Lord, and uh, I'll, I'll try to be as excellent as I can, Lord, but you anoint, which will make up the difference. It'll actually take it to a place it could never be without you. Pray that uh, people's spirits would be open to your word. I pray that the word would become alive in us and that through that, Lord, we would be changed. We would be encouraged. If we need it, we would be convicted. And at times we will, that we would uh, mature and grow, uh, that we would be empowered to be witnesses as you have said that we would, uh, that your kingdom would grow because of what we do, that this just wouldn't be a religious tradition. Uh, though it's a good one, that uh, being here on Wednesday night, studying your word, that it would be effective and powerful and meaningful to each one of us. We bless you tonight. We give this night to you. Pray if anyone has specific needs, Lord, if someone needs physical healing, while we're looking at the word, heal them, Father. If they need relational uh, forgiveness or need to extend forgiveness, I pray, Father, that you would give them the grace to do uh, the extending of forgiveness and, uh, and the grace to accept your forgiveness, Lord. Um, just do whatever you want to do tonight, Holy Spirit. We give you this time. It's good to be together uh, just with uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord that uh, encourage and strengthen and just support. We pray you do that tonight. We thank you and we love you. Do what you do tonight, Holy Spirit. Change us and shape us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Man, open my eyes and the classic grown by two. By double. Good to be together, isn't it? Say amen. Well, we are in 1 John. We're going to be there in just a few moments. Um, oh, it's just good to be together. We'll get a couple of things open here and then we'll get right to it. 1 John chapter 1. We'll probably get down through uh, about verse 7 tonight and, uh, and then uh, we'll probably stop there tonight. As we, uh, as we begin this study, let me remind you of a couple of things. The guy who wrote this, uh, this is John the Apostle. He wrote not Matthew, Mark, Luke, but the Gospel of John. Uh, he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Epistles. This is, if you'll remember, the Apostle that was the closest. He was the most intimate with Jesus. Uh, there was the Twelve, and then there were Peter, James, and John. And then there was John. John's the only one that was with Jesus when he was crucified. It was to John that Jesus said, uh, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Talking to John and talking about uh, his mother, Mary, gave John the responsibility to care for him. Uh, John, as I said, was the, was the single person closest to Jesus. So it's from that perspective that this, this epistle now, not a gospel, an epistle, what, was, uh, what does epistle mean? Someone remind me. An epistle is a what? It's a letter sent from an apostle, uh, sent from uh, one of, one of Jesus' teachers to the church. And uh, it is that, uh, it's that person. I wanted to remind you that. Uh, this, if you remember some other things, not about this epistle, but about the gospel of John, written by this same guy, uh, it is the most intimate picture of God's love for us. Most most people, when they give counsel to a new believer about what book in the Bible to read first, they tell them, read the Gospel of John. This guy that wrote this epistle 
wrote that gospel. And you say, well, why is that so significant? You're going to see why in a moment. As I said, John is the disciple closest to Jesus and probably, I would say, undoubtedly the most known verse of Scripture in the whole Bible was penned by this guy. God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Finish it for me. That should not perish but have... Everlasting life is a theme in a lot of John's writings, and we're going to see that tonight. But something we're also going to see, if you only read the Gospel of John, and you didn't read the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you, you could get a perspective of John that might not be entirely accurate. Uh, as I said, John was the closest to Jesus I don't think that makes his writing more valid. These are all words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it is, uh, it is possible to get a perspective a little, bit, uh, a little bit different than what I think we'll get. Uh, you're going to see something in 1 John that you didn't see in the Gospel of John. Let's begin. Let me read the first four verses as we begin in 1 John chapter 1. He writes this, and I'm, I'm, we'll do this whole study from the ESV. If you're wondering what version of the Bible I'm reading from, English Standard Version. Uh, if you have an electronic deal, you can switch to that. If you have a paper deal, I, I can't help you. All right? Uh, I could switch, but, but I've got my notes made uh, ESV. So let me read from that, beginning 1 John chapter 1. He writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." I told you a moment ago, this is, uh, this is John the Apostle. Uh, who was John's dad? Anybody remember? James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So he's one of the ones called by Jesus. Come, remember, remember the calling? Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. John was one of the ones to whom that was said. He, has, uh, he was with Jesus during his entire earthly ministry. And uh, he has now been inspired by the Holy Spirit to not only write the gospel, but now this first of his epistles. Um, John begins this by commenting on the veracity of what he is about to write by saying this about it. He said, that which was from the beginning. Now, we'll talk about what that is in a moment. But he says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Now, think about that in a little different language. John says, listen, I'm going to tell you about something, and I want you to know, Randy, that I saw it, all right, and I heard it, and I touched it. You got it? That's sort of our trifecta of, was it real? I could see it with my eyes, I could hear it with my ears, and then I reached up and I laid hands on it. Amen? I want you all to know that Cameron is real. He's here. 
All right, he can, he can, make, he can make noise. I've heard him. I have seen him, and I have laid my hands on him. You got it? That's what you get for setting up front, Cameron, all right? That's, that is, humorous or not, that's the way John begins this. Listen, I want to tell you about something that was from the beginning. And I have seen it, I have heard it, I have touched it. And I want to tell you about it. He's talking about the veracity of this thing. He's not saying, somebody else told me, or I got a second-hand account of it. He's saying, look, I experienced this in every way that you can. This story, this narrative, this, this truth that I'm about to share with you, I have, I have seen it, heard it, felt it with, with my own hands. Now, what is it, who is it, might be a better, who was from the beginning... He's talking about Jesus. He's, look, he's saying, look, I'm about to tell you about some things about the Lord. And I didn't just hear them from somebody. I was there. You got it? How many of you think you ought to sit up and listen to John? So look around. You see anybody with a, just about to, you wake them up. That's the, that's the, that's the enthusiasm that John is speaking with. He's saying, listen, don't sleep through this. You need this. You've got to get this. You've got to hear this. And it's that level of engagement that John is beginning this letter. That which was from the beginning. In other words, this goes all the way back. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The word of life. There is a... There's an undeniable similarity in these verses with what John writes in the gospel when he begins them. Listen to the way he begins his gospel. This, when he, right? Listen to the language in John chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Verse 1, 2, and 3, he says, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Listen to John, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. There's a common theme in there. What is it? There's a common word. It's a hint. There's a common word. What is it? Word. Word? That's what you say, word? In other words, you know, Latinos would say, verdad? Truth? Yes. All right? It is very similar. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 14. You know these verses. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. First John starts out very much like that. Now, because I love you, everybody say, Pastor Roy loves me. And because Joni loves me, I have something for you. Every individual, not every couple, every individual gets one of these. And this is to go on your refrigerator, on your nightstand, on your mirror in the bathroom. All right? One of the things that we're going to do as we go through this study is we're going to learn, memorize some scriptures. And here are your first ones. 
John chapter 1, verse 1, and John chapter 1, verse 14. Yes, there will be a test. <laughs> then you can take that and put it on your, put it on your, listen, put it on your refrigerator. Put it where you see it. All right, the scripture says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And that's just not going to be the case at Abundant Life Community Church. And some of you say, I just can't memorize scripture. All right, anybody say that? I, can, I just cannot memorize scripture. Make yourself a deal then. You cannot have anything out of that refrigerator until you quote that scripture by memory. And you will be amazed how diligent, Leslie, you will be at memorizing that scripture. All right. <laughs> Pretty simple. Just two verses. I want you to memorize those word for word with the reference by next week. It's just two verses of scripture. Cameron, can you handle that? There you go. He's going to put it in his car and don't do that. Don't put it somewhere else. I don't want you memorizing when you're, when you're driving, all right? Listen, uh, why am I doing it? Because biblical literacy has got to become something that we get better at. And it can't begin until we start hiding God's word in our heart and in our mind. And this is, this is where we begin, just like this, with two scriptures on a card. Guess what we'll have next week? Another card with some more scriptures. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Please promise me that you will not throw these away. Put them somewhere so that by the time we're done, you've got 10 or 20 cards, and now you'll know 20 or 30 scriptures by memory. All right? Promise? Two scriptures a week. You can, you can do it. All right, now, and these are some of the ones from the Gospel of John that you need to know. All right? So we're going to memorize John 1.1. And John 1.14. Everybody said amen? amen? Oh, that was just weak. Some of you didn't. Everybody said amen. amen. And now listen, I'm going to quiz you. I'm going to do it in the room in front of everybody. So if nobody's here next week, all right, I'll know why. All right? I won't embarrass you, but learn these scriptures. Because I promise you, there will be tests where you need them that will be much more significant than anything we do in here. Say amen. So we're going to learn some scriptures. All right? When John talks about, in verse 1, that which, from the, that, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, all right, he is undoubtedly referring to Jesus. And the life that Jesus brought in the incarnation. Now somebody tell me what the incarnation, when I say the word incarnation, not you. John always wants to answer all the questions. All right. Somebody tell me what the incarnation is. Just somebody tell me. It's, you don't have to get it absolutely right. What's the incarnation? It's not a type of evaporated milk. What's the incarnation? It is, it is indeed, but let's be a little more specific. Say it again, Julie. When he was here on earth, that's true, but I want you to be slightly more specific. The incarnation is when God became a man. Okay? 
All of those answers are right. I just want you to know it more specifically. When anyone uses the word the incarnation or the incarnate Christ, it's the fact that God took on earthly form in the form of Jesus. Okay, so what's the incarnation? When God became man or flesh. Okay, so you might write that on your card. Incarnation. God became man. All right. Now, I want you to think about it as we look at these. Listen to verse 2. He says, concerning the word of life. We're going to get beyond rhetoric, and we're going to think about these terms. He goes on, he says, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was, listen, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, what or who was with the Father and was made manifest to John and others? Jesus. Everybody get it? It's a little bit, little bit coded, but I want you to see that. This life that John is talking to is not an ambiguous term. He's talking about a particular thing. He's talking about what Jesus manifested in the Incarnation. When God became man, Jesus showed us, taught us, revealed some things to us about what life was supposed to be like that we had not known before him. All right? Jesus had never been revealed, and the Israelites, the people of God in that day, and all of the world had never really known what kind of life God was talking about until Jesus came, until they saw him, they felt him, they heard him, they touched him. I just want you to imagine for just a moment, in this sort of metaphorical, he's talking about life. We know that it's Jesus that he's talking about. I want you to, if you can, stir yourself just a moment and try to imagine the value of that. This thing that Jesus came to teach them. This, this revelation of what real life, both on this earth and in eternity, what's that valued at? What, what will it be like the first moment you step over into the presence of God and this thing that we just know by faith becomes real? And you know having stepped into the glory of God, for the first time you will really know who He is. And what will you also know? You'll know who He is and you'll know who you are. And what will you be in reference to what He is? Don't think about your, your salvation now. Think about... I think you'll remember this life and I think there'll be a profound sense of I don't deserve to be here and there will be this overwhelming sense of gratitude thanksgiving that you have been made right righteous by the life that was revealed when Jesus came to this world and it, Wayne, in that day, it won't be a church story anymore. And it won't just be a, 
theological construct, and it won't be one of those 150,000 sermons you've heard. In that day, it'll be all about me and him and this place and eternity, and I stand here before him righteous, and I don't deserve it. Nevertheless, I am. Now, what will be the value of the life that Jesus revealed in that moment? That's what I want you to imagine. Amen? It's that that John is writing about. He's writing about the the reality, the, the revelation of that, that he is beginning to expand to them in this epistle. If you could just imagine the value of that revelation to you and me. Now, in verse 3, he really gets to it. All right? He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you like fellowship? When we think of fellowship, what do we think of? What? Good time. What else? What? Happiness? Visiting with people? Sharing? Anybody else? Hanging out with Joni? Anybody think food? All right. All right. All of those are good, but none of them is sufficient to understand the word that John uses here. Because we have predetermined ideas of what fellowship is, we think that's what, he, what he's talking about. We sort of get along. Me and the Lord, we have fellowship. We talk to each other. We hang out. We're, we're, we're now, I mean, I can talk to him. I can be with him. I can, you know, we, 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 you know, we converse. But that's not what John's saying. You've heard the Greek word that is used, but I'm not sure that you understand it. It, it is, and I won't write it out in the but I'll, I'll write it out just in the English and the transliteration of it. All right, it's this. Uh, I got too many N's. K-O-I-N-O-N. No, that's right. I-A. Randy, you said it. What's the word? Koinonia. Koinonia. I'm sorry? That's the transliteration of the Greek. If I could write it in Greek, you... That's not that is the that's that's the English letters for the Greek word. I can you want me to write it in the Greek letters? Most of y'all last time he said no, don't do that because we don't care. All right, I'm going to write some because I need to practice. If I don't, I lose them. All right, koinonia is the term that's used every time in this epistle that John uses the word fellowship. It's this Greek word. It is more than just hanging out. We really don't have a English equivalent, but it's not just hanging out. It is used in really in only two references and neither, uh, uh, not two places, but two, two things that it infers and neither of them are what we think of as fellowship. Hanging out with your friends, having some good food, laughing, sharing, being joyous, being happy. That's not this, all right? This is more than that. Uh, the Greek word koinonia used here, uh, the, 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 sort of the definition, let me, let me take a shot at it, it's this. It's the act of sharing in the activities 
and privileges of an intimate association or group used especially in reference to two things, marriage and church. So it's not just hanging out with your bud. It's not just having laughter. We've sort of used it that way, but this word infers an intimacy, a sharing of privileges and association. And it's only used really in two instances, two settings in the scripture, and that is the koinonia between husband and wife and supposedly on the same level of intimacy among the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We've reduced it to, let's make some food and hang out. But that's not what John's writing about. He's talking about an intimacy that is shared between those who have heard and seen and touched who? Who? Jesus. And how many of you know you don't really see and hear and touch Jesus and it'd be a casual sort of a deal? Amen? Andy? Yeah, closer than family. It is. It's intended to be an intimacy. And John is using it in the context of fellowship with the Father and the Son and other believers associated with John. It's close. Say amen if you if you hear me. Amen. In verse 4 uh, John goes on he says and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now that's really interesting. Let me read through the four verses again and put four in there just in their context. That which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes and we looked upon and have touched with our hands. You feel the intensity building? You feel it? Yes or no? Concerning the word of life. You're beginning to feel, maybe you read these verses the first time and it didn't have it. Now you're feeling John going, hey, sit up. You got to get this. This is the word of life. The life which was manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus. That with that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now that last verse, what is it that makes John's joy complete. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that my joy will be complete. In this context of koinonia, let me, every commentary I read about it, every word study that I looked at, and it's certainly true with me. In verse 4, John indicates what the desire is of every pastor, every apostle, every evangelist. He indicates that which brings every pastor joy. What is it? That his people would share in the fellowship of the Father and the Son. And that it would be beyond church tradition. 
and casual association and let me let me be let me be rough on us for a minute. The national average for full-time church attendees today is 1.7 services a month. That's full-time. Now, I don't, I'm not telling you that coming to church is what John's talking about. But what John's writing about here, Leslie, is not casual. Koinonia, I know, Sue got you in trouble. Leslie's blaming, she's throwing Sue under the bus, all right? I just couldn't pass that up, I'm sorry. But I do want us to hear this, seriously. Because you're going to hear John say some things in a moment, and if you don't get this context down, they're not going to make sense. John is writing about an intimacy with the Father, and a fellowship, and an eternal life that Jesus has revealed and he's speaking of the value of it. And he's going to make some commentary on it in the next three verses. And it's just not, just not the way that some look at what it means to be a Christ follower in today's world. All right? It is not condemning at all. But it's intense. And it's intimate. And I want to make sure the room's ready for it. And I think we are now. Okay? German philosopher, uh, a man named Schopenhauer, concerning the human race, compared us to a bunch of porcupines huddling together on a cold winter's night. He wrote this, The colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth. But the closer we get to one another, the more we hurt one another with our sharp quills. And in the lonely night of winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out on our own and freeze to death in our loneliness. Anybody ever been quilled in the church? But we're supposed to be because of who Jesus has revealed as partakers of eternal life See, we've sort of reduced that down to a prayer that we prayed that secured our future someday in heaven, but between now and then, it's a free-for-all. And that's not what John's writing about. He says, we are all... Do you remember the two settings that koinonia applies in? Marriage and us. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. But the center of that isn't our... It isn't our orientation. It's, it's not our orientation in reference to each other. It's our orientation in reference to whom? Jesus. Amen? Amen. I just don't want us to miss it. And then John begins in verse 5 giving what I've entitled basic instructions about fellowship and joy. Because if you were to look for a central theme in this whole book, I think those two words would be, I know this hasn't had a lot of joy in it, but he's going to tell you how to find joy. And it's through koinonia with the Father and the Son and one another. But you've got to get the orientation towards the Son and the Father right first before you can ever really fellowship and find joy in the body of Christ. 
Listen to what he says in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's a really interesting uh, phrase here when it says God is light. It doesn't, doesn't say God is a light or God is lit up. It doesn't say that. Now, I, wanna, I do want to write this out because it is, it, at least I think it's interesting, and I think you, you need it. All right? There's a, there's a and I am going to write this in the Greek. I probably made that too, too close because this is a pretty good word. This is the way you would have written it, Randy? Is this it? Yeah. And I don't know that any of you are going to remember any of this or not. But th this, is the, this is the Greek letter that makes the F sound. And this is an O and this and it. This is, the, this, is the, this is the Greek word phos, from which we get things like phosphorescent and phosphorus. And that's the prefix that that comes from. And this, this is the Greek word that if we were to say it in, or write it out in English, it would look like this. Anatoline. So, phos anatoline. Now, here's what's interesting. This is the word for all right. This this is the word for light. One of them, and this is the word for like sprung up or dawned. Now, the reason that I wrote this on there is that. When you read this in the Greek, that's it. There is no the or a or direct object or any of that. All right? And this is found, this, the, this phrase is found, in, if you want to turn it in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. In Matthew 4, 16, where it says, and, and upon the darkness a great light has dawned, and upon those dwelling in the darkness a light has shone. A light sprung up, or a light has dawned. All right? Right? Because there is not in the Greek a definite article, when you translate this, you have to add the English word, or a. A light has dawned. It's in the context. All right? Now, but here's what I want to show you about this one in, the, in this section of Scripture in John. All right? Here's the... Here's the Here's the Greek for God. That's the word theos. Theos. Theology. God. Theos. All right. And here's that word that we just saw a moment ago. Phos. All right. And this is the, this, this next word is the, is the Greek word esteem. E-S-T-I sound, N sound. Okay? All right. God. All right. Light. And this is the equivalent of our to have being verb. This, what's interesting is this is a verb. It's the same word, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it, so you won't instantly know what it is, but this is our 
uh, to be verb. All right? We have a to be verb that we use depending on what the personal pronoun is, it changes. Or, or a name, it changes. If I say, if I say they, then the verb, if I say they hungry, what's the verb that goes between that? They are hungry. That's our having being verb in English. John and hungry, then the verb changes to is hungry. But it's the same in, in, the, in the formation of the language. It's the same verb. We just have different tenses of it. You just don't learn it that way. But in Greek, it's a little different. It all comes from the same root word, and it's the context that changes it, and it's this Greek verb that changes, and it is translated here just like that. In Greek, in any, any language that comes from Latin, the word order is not significant. In Spanish, it's not significant. In English, word order is everything, but in most Latin-derived languages, it's not. You can put the verb and the, you, you can mix the sentences up because the way the words agree with each other in the form, you know what the sentence is. But this is the word based upon a singular noun that is translated as, what? Is. Now, here's what's interesting. In that other sentence, there is no verb. A light dawned. It has no, it's not personified. In this one, it is. God doesn't give off light. God doesn't radiate light. God is light. You got it? And in this case, he's not talking about radiance. And he's not talking about the context is not talking about um, the amount of lumens in an area. This is talking about the character of God. Are you with me? And it's not just that God is bright. All right? It, it is this, this is a statement of his character. God is light. Now, why is that significant? Because it contrasts in this verse what's not God. Right? Verse 7, or verse 6, excuse me, verse 5. This is the message we have heard. The message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. What is that message? God is light, and in him... No darkness at all. You got it? Now, here's the deal. We've been invited to fellowship with that. To have close, intimate connection with a God who has no darkness at all and is the seminal source of light, of of revealing light, of exposing light, of shining in the darkness in your life light, of revealing the He is light. And John's not, John's not just using catchy metaphorical language. He's trying to teach us something about the character of God. Now, I just want to back up a minute. If we only look at the Gospel of John, what's the primary thing that you would say God is from the Gospel of John? God is love. 
Is God love? Yes. Is God only love? Y'all didn't, y'all weren't nearly as enthusiastic about that answer as you were the one before. God is not only love. He is also light. He's truth. He reveals. We, we sometimes get so inundated with a singularly faceted God that if we don't look at the fullness of his character, we're going to end up in error. And there's a bunch of people in the world that are today. Well, God, God loves. God just loves. God, God would not send somebody to hell. God loves. Now, I know this is tough. And this is not exactly what John is talking about. I just want you to understand that John's going to get into some deep stuff here in just a second. All right? He already is. What, what does the light of God do? When, when Paul was writing about the law, and he was writing to the Jewish people about what the purpose of the law was, he said that the law made us aware of what sin was. It had no ability to remove the penalty for sin, but it made us aware of it. All right, now, now listen to this. We're going to get to joy and fellowship, but you've got to understand the path to that. The light of God does illuminate our sinfulness. Say amen. It's not condemning. Satan comes to condemn, but God's light does illuminate our sin. We begin to understand what we are and what we are to be by having fellowship with the life of Jesus. We begin to interact with Jesus. We, his word begins to be alive in us. We begin, to, we begin to understand who he is and who we are. And there's a profound humility that begins to grip us. Everybody understand what I'm saying? How many of you remember when we used to talk more about repentance as a product of salvation? That, that there was a, a deep sorrow that would come over you when you, when you became aware of your sin. And we, we don't talk about that as much anymore. But John's talking about the life that is in Jesus and the light that is in God and having close, intimate fellowship with that. Fellowship with the light of God and the life of Jesus. You can't stand there arrogant. Amen? There's a brokenness. There's a humility. There's a service. Now, where did we learn those? Where did we learn those attributes? Who have we seen that had every right to not be humble yet was? The life in Jesus that was, John says, what, we, what, what I have seen and what I have heard and what I've touched, I want to tell you about it. The life, the eternal life that's in Christ Jesus, it, it, it brings us to a place where we begin to be profoundly affected by it. Now listen to this. This will begin to make sense, but not, not a lot of fun yet. Listen to what 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says. If we say 
we have fellowship with him. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Wow. That's, does that, that scare anybody other than me? It scares me. You say, oh, no, I'm not scared. I'm, I'm covered by the love of God. I'm covered by the love of God too. But God isn't only love. He's also light. Say amen. And if we say... I'm in fellowship. I'll tell you what, Jesus and me, we're like this. Now, I'm, I'm going to the club. Now, I'm talking to you guys. I'm, I'm going to the club tomorrow, but me and Jesus, I'm taking, I mean, I got my chain and my cross and everything on. The, the Greek verb that is used for walking is not, it's not out for a stroll. It infers uh, a life, a practice that, continues on it's a it's a present tense verb which has a beginning and no ending we don't really have a we always have a qualifier that does that if we say randy was running there's the instant inference that well he didn't run forever he stopped but in the greek there is a verb a present tense active verb has no ending inferred all right and Another place that's used a common verse when he says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that's that being that doesn't end. Is that, like a, is that like thunder or is that like something that they're showing? Yeah. I'm not sure, but the music might be too loud. If the, <laughs> yeah, that's a, no, they're probably watching something. Listen, all right. To walk in this is to live or behave in a specific manner. All right? So if we say we have fellowship in the koinonia that John uses, and we, we consistently walk, live in a different manner than the life that Jesus walked in, all right? then if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... Remember, there's no darkness in God. Darkness is sort of the count, counterpoint that the world represents. If we say, and this is not talking about living a perfect life, but if we live a protracted, knowingly sinful life, he says, look, then, then that's a lie. You're not in fellowship with him. And that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? John used the word darkness... Ten times in this book, and every time he's talking about sin. Now, I just got one more verse, and then we're going to talk a while. Verse 7, now we get to the joyous part. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, who's the he? Jesus. Walk in the light like Jesus did. Now, I can't be Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't walk perfectly. Neither did John. But, but you can't knowingly walk in the dark. Consist, you can't live in the dark and claim to be in fellowship with Jesus. You got it? But wait a minute. God is love. God so loved the world that he gets... You see what I mean? You don't, need, you don't just need the gospel of John. You need 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now, there's an interesting usage of, when, when you read one another, we would instantly refer us. 
But the Greek word, the way it's used there, is not talking about fellowship with the other believers. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with him. We are in. See, that makes sense with the verse before. If you're going to have fellowship with Jesus, you've got to walk in the light. And if you don't, you're walking in the darkness. Now, here's what I want us to finish up talking about. In this theological construct that we're talking about, all right, this is, this is a heavy, loaded question, but it's not a trick question, all right? What is grace? That's what I've, I'm not falling for this, Pastor Roy, all right? Vicki, what's grace? Some have said unmerited favor. God's kindness was displayed to me when I didn't deserve it. And that's sort of the way we use the word, they were very gracious. We use the word that way. Some people think of grace in theological terms. I'm going to show my great artistic ability. Very lifelike. There you go. All right, there's you. All right? I can write Greek letters, but I can't draw a human figure, all right? And uh, I don't know how to represent, I'll just write it. And here's God up here, okay? And we have often thought of grace like this. Grace is a covering. Now, what will you and I what will we always be in relationship to uh, sinless or sinful? What will we always be? Sinful. And it, we will always have sin in our life. Yes? Amen? But we have thought about grace as a covering. Like a, it's almost like an umbrella. You know, we're holding on to, we got our umbrella. And I've actually heard people see this. And because of that, God can't look on your sin because of the covering that the blood of Jesus provides. You still have sin, but God doesn't see it. He casts it as far as the east is from the west. He removes your sin. You, you commit a sin, and he throws it away. It's almost like God's this great removal. You, whoop, he, throw, whoop, he throws it away, just like that, all right? God throws it away like I did the marker, all right? And there's nothing uniquely terrible with that, except this idea of it being a covering while you remain basically unchanged underneath it. If you, if you hold on to that, then, then there eventually, if you stretch this out in time, then eventually, you end up with this theological position that is pretty profound in the world today that says, well, anything goes because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Randy, you got a comment or? Ordered of God, all right? It's, 
we're not a huge way from the kingdom, but we're pretty good ways from the kingdom. Because we think of grace as this covering under which we live unchanged. And that discredits this fellowship thing that we got going on with Jesus. And the light that he brings and the life that he brings. And a word that's not in the scripture, it, it discredits the transformation that, that the life and the light of Jesus brings to a believer's life. That we will never become Jesus. Amen? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes? That's not the issue. The issue is, is that there are positions, theological positions in our world today, and great numbers of leaders in the church world are denying biblical truth because of this concept of what grace is. You can, you can what? You do whatever you please. No one would really say that, but you can, you can deny scripture because of God's grace. And you can live lifestyles that deny scripture because of God's grace. You can live in lifestyles that the scripture would place in the category of darkness and it's because of God's grace. You can live that life, not, not we sin, but, but I knowingly just ignore these sections of scripture. I'm not, I try not to name things because I have a tendency to go, well, I'm not doing that one, I'm not doing that one, I must be good. It's, this is a life of living in the light of Jesus and giving him the right to shine his light anywhere and say, this is the thing that I want you to grow in. And, and I allow him to mature me in it, no matter where it is. Amen? Come on, amen? So what is a proper understanding of God's grace and the light of God and the fellowship with the Spirit? And how do we not fall into a place where we don't have fellowship and where darkness is what we're living in? Some of you may have noticed the, uh, some of you may have read the article that I reposted on Facebook this last week. 47% of mainline pastors believe that same-sex marriage is okay. 47% of mainline pastors. The name of the article was The Difference in Mainline Pastors and Pentecostal Pastors. 49% of Presbyterians, 47% of... There was a Methodist pastors believe that same-sex marriage is okay. Am I angry at homosexual people? Absolutely not. We're, we're, we're called to love people. Where do I get the idea that same-sex marriage is wrong? Did I, did I just pull that out of a hat somewhere? It's from the scriptures. It's from God's word. It's a tough deal. It's a tough situation. Now, but what does that mean in reference to this? All right. The, the substance of the article that really mattered was it said that the, that, that, the, that the reason that those positions are what they are is the view that those pastors have of God's word. 
And they don't believe that God's word is intended to be taken literally. And that it's supposed to be interpreted through the societal norms of that day. 47%. Now, if I seem cranked up, it's because I am. 47. When I read that, I was like, I am in a bubble here. I thought, I thought I was in the majority. Well, I am by three percentage points. 57, or no, 53, 47. But I'm not talking about lay people. I'm talking about ministers. You with me? That was Lifeway Research that commissioned that. And once again, it was, it was how they viewed the scripture that determined how they judged societal issues. And you cannot read things like 1 John and go, well, I, I think it's whatever. All right? There is light and there is darkness. Now, so what is a proper definition of grace? What is grace? Let me just say it just like it is. Is there grace for homosexuality? Everybody say yes. Amen. Is there sex? Is there sex? Yes, there is. All right? <laughs> Is there grace for any kind of sexual sin? Yes, there is. Is there grace for murder? Is there grace for um, genocide? Uh, all right. Is there, is there grace for uh, a pedophile? Yes, there is. All right. But, but you cannot live as a pedophile and claim that you're in the light. And the battle that's going on in the world today is that's what they want to they, that's what they want the church to say. This is okay. And lots of them are. Barb? I'm gonna tell you right now. All right. Because we need to understand what grace is. And I want to try to do it in the in terms of this picture. All right, and in terms of how it relates to God. Is grace, all right, in the Old Testament, here's where we get this covering. In the Old Testament, there was a sin sacrifice made that atoned for the sins of the people. All right, it was a propitiation. That's the sort of complicated word. All right, that, that, it, and it's what that did. If we were in the Old Testament, once a year, the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies and he would make a sin offering. He would take a bull and he would slaughter it and he would pour its blood on the altar and he would burn its flesh, parts of it, on the altar. It would be mixed with certain very special incense and it would be burned and the scripture says it was a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. All right, did that offering remove sin? So it's not a trick question, but be careful how you answer. Did it remove sin? Everybody shake your head like this. It was a propitiation. It pushed back the penalty for the sin a year. And the people went on sinning. All right? And the next year, the high priest would come, and he would kill a bull for the sins of the people of the nation of God. 
and the blood would be poured out and it would push the penalty for sin back. But did the sin disappear? Was it got rid of? No. Until one day, what Hebrews describes as a better sacrifice based upon a better covenant done by a better priest. The whole theme of the book of Hebrews is better. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, watch this. John saw him coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who pushes back the penalty for sin. No, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Better sacrifice, better covenant, better priest. He's going to take it away. All right? So, and the way he did it was by a combination of two things. God's grace and our... Nope. Nope. For by grace are you saved through faith. God's grace and our faith in Him. So grace, instead of being something that just pushes the penalty back, it begins in two kinds of righteousness. An instantaneous righteousness unto salvation and a progressive righteousness that manifests itself in your life for the rest of your life. Someone asked Jesus into their life. They are in that moment still struggling with any number of sins. Are they going to heaven? Absolutely they are. Okay? I'm not talking about what it takes to be saved. I'm talking about what it means for a believer to live in that salvation. Will you live it perfectly? No, you will not. Can you erase a chapter of the Bible that you don't like so that your particular sin is no longer a sin in God's word? But wait a minute. I, I want more than one woman. Why? I have no idea, all right? <laughs> Can I live? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Grace is a covering. Grace has removed my sins. I want Leanne and um, 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 uh, Shakira, if that were possible. That would be some grace right there, wouldn't it? <laughs> Miracle of miracles, all right? All right? Why can't I, watch this, why can't I have her? Well, first of all, I just can't, all right? Why not? Why can't I have my wife and a woman on the side? There's grace. Yeah, she'd kill me, all right? All right, now let's get it back in the theological realm. Why? Come on now. We, we don't struggle with this. It's only when we name certain sins that we struggle with this. Why can I not have my wife and another woman? Uh, why, Barb? Because God said it's a sin to commit. And what is biblical adultery? I'm married to this one, but I'm sleeping with... That's, I'm not a smart man, but... All right? Has everybody got it? Now, can I live an adulterous lifestyle, and be in the light. Does God love me? Is there grace? 
what don't I have, though? Somebody said it. What? Faith. No, I believe that God exists. Isn't that what faith is? Everybody say no. That's not what faith is. That's what we've what we want to we wanted to reduce it to that. You want to measure? All right. What's the difference in belief and faith? Well, you're getting some you're getting some good stuff tonight. It's good that this has been recorded. What's the difference? Somebody said it. Barb, you said it. Yeah. What is it? Action. Faith alters your behavior. Genuine faith, where the light has shone in you, begins to change you. You don't instant, you're not perfect, but you can't live in knowing willful disobedience to God's word. You can't live in that and be right in fellowship with God. Say amen. Now, you're a legalist. You're just a mean old legalist. No, I'm trying to get people saved into heaven. And if they don't all like me as much as they did, then so be it. You say, well, I'm a little worried about myself. Perfect. <laughs> then get down on your knees and say, Lord, shine your light on me. And if there be, watch this, if there be any wicked way in me, show it to me, Lord. I'm, why? Because I'm yours. I don't, I don't reserve a part of me that you don't get to touch. I'm all yours. I'm all in, Lord. You got all of me. Say Amen. I'm not, I don't, I didn't just add you to my life. I don't give you 1.7. You get 100%. Come on. That's what a follower of Jesus is. Say amen. So what is grace? I got all preachy there. All right. It's Nisi's fault. She starts amen and stuff. Gets me all fired up. So what is grace? If grace isn't a perpetuation that pushes back our sins, what then is it? Well, it's God's favor. God just sort of, is it a nod and a wink? God says, oh, I know you're rotten, but I'm just not. No, he's righteous. That, that doesn't sound like the character of God. So what is grace? What does it do? I got a better little illustration for you. Grace looks like this. I think. Grace is this endowment. It's this, it's this saturating, reverberating Soaking in. I mean, it, it's, it's a marinade. It's this fear that you live in. Where you get up every single day. And it pushes in on you a little more. God's love and his light. And, the, and every year you know him, he invades a little more of you. Are you saved from the first moment it's applied? Yes, you are. Instantaneous righteousness, sanctification. But there is this, there's this inundation of it. It begins to push in on you. It begins to affect your mind. It affects your physical body. It affects your, it affects your money. It affects your recreation. It, listen, I'm sorry, it affects your music. It affects your language. It affects your decision-making paradigms. It affects your family and your, it changes your work ethic. Come on, doesn't it? it? Because the light, come on, it's God's light. And it just, it doesn't, it won't, you just can't shut off a corner to it. Because this is not just a 100-watt bulb. This is the light of God that begins to illuminate your soul. And, you know, I'm mad at, I'm just, I don't like that sunburned guy, he... And the Holy Spirit just won't leave me alone. I can't live in that. I mean, I can for a while, all right? 
but it's going to get to, his light's going to, how many of you ever had the light of God get, and you're just like, I just wish you'd leave me alone for a little while. At least in this, I mean, Barb deserves it. You know what I mean? I mean, I've asked her to make me a pie a hundred times and she won't do it. Or something. Some issue in, all right, and, and remember, it's the koinonia and there are two primary areas that the Bible uses. And what are they? Marriage and the church. Why do you think it's those two areas? Why do you think those two? I can tell you why it is for me. Because there ain't nobody in the world that makes me need the light of God more than Leanne. <laughs> for me, how about your spouse? Ellen? Come on, who tests you more than Tom? Really? Nobody. Nisi? Hang on, I can't hear you. What? <laughs> yeah. Watch this. Why is the devil so after marriage? What What is marriage? What 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 is? Watch this. What is the picture? that the scripture uses for the relationship between Jesus and his people. We are called the what of Christ. All right? If he can defile what marriage is supposed to be. It's just a contract. It's just a, it's just a legal contract to live together. Just a piece of paper. If you, you know, if you ain't with the one you love, love the one you're with. All right? That's what the world says. But that's not what God said. If I can't, watch this qualification for a deacon why does it say if a man can't can't govern his own house how can he govern God's house why because it's it's a picture it's a, it's a type it's a symbol of listen if that man can't let the light of God shine in him with his family he's not going to let it shine you with me why, why? Watch this. How, how can the Bible ask you to serve a wicked taskmaster? How could Onesimus, a slave, be told to go back to his master and serve him? And the master to take him back? Well, I tell you what, that ain't fair. Because... We are, now if you want to, it's about to get deep, but you are, Matthew 5, but you are, Jesus said, the light of this world. And you are the salt of the earth. Where do we get the light? We're not light. Who is? God is Light. People are supposed to be able to watch us, Barb, and see Jesus. How many of you think they've seen enough of Roy? Go ahead and say amen. All right? They don't need to see me. They need to see Jesus. 
They need to see him in our marriages, and they need to see him in the body of Christ. Amen? Come on, amen? Because we're the light of the world. We are those that illuminate what it means to love and to give. And what's the greatest? Watch this. If you think about the koinonia that we have with the Father and the Son, what is the overwhelming best deal ever in that relationship? What's the overwhelming best? If you think about all the things that we get out of that relationship, and love is up there, say it, say it. Forgiveness. Everybody that thinks God got a good deal when he got you, say amen. Boy, I can, you see what I mean? He traded down with me. He traded Jesus for me. That's what the Father did. Now that right there is some light. Yes? And Jesus came to reveal that. So the next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, and the spirit of the Antichrist rises up in you, you remember that you and I are light. Now, sometimes you're just going to stumble all over being the light. But don't live that way. Get up. Ask the Lord to forgive you. He will. Even if you don't ask him, he will. As a child of God, you don't have to enumerate, enumerate every sin. That's not who we are. But we live in the light of God. And we enjoy the fellowship of the Father and the Son and of one another. I don't know about y'all, but that's good stuff right there. Thank you, Nisi. All right. Come on, notes. Open up. The uh, grace is this, I think, ever, ever, ever pressing in presence of God it does cover us it is it is something that removes our sinfulness but the same same grace that that provides God's favor and covers if you will your sin begins to lift you out of it and he begins to change you and mold you and shape you now none of us are perfect and I may, I'm not planning to have any big sins in my life, but I may yet. Preachers aren't perfect. I, I, the shoe's not going to fall. You're not going to hear the news report tomorrow. All right? But I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago and 20 years ago. Um, I like to think I'm a better husband and a better worker and a better friend and a better son and a better, because of the grace of God pressing in on me. Um, Barb? When you said that somebody that has been a pedophile all their life that asked Jesus into their life can be forgiven and then the grace begins to press in on them but they can't live as a pedophile and just claim God's grace and everything's fine. Yeah. I can't live as an adulterer. I can't just keep cheating on my wife and knowing that it's a sin and just keep doing it because of God's grace. Yeah. Yeah. No. 
No, no, there is the, uh, all right, now, we're going we're gonna to dig into this more, um, but I just want you to recognize, guys, that there is great joy and great peace and great love and great rest in God's presence for anyone, but, but you can't just add God to a lascivious life and be right and be in fellowship with the Father. Amen? There's a transformative work that that grace does. John uses the analogy of God's light and the life provided by Jesus to begin to show us what that is. Father, we love you tonight. I thank you for, Lord, your word. Um, Lord, I don't really like talking about this. Uh, I would just rather be friends with everybody. I would rather just get along. But Lord, there is an inevitable confrontation when the word of God comes in contact with sinful mankind. There is a battle. And it's not peaceable. There's a battle that ensues within each one of us. And there is right now a battle in our society because of our desire, all of us, not, not some group, all of us, we have in it this desire to throw off accountability to you. We do it in different stages and different degrees, but we all just want to do what we want to do. But Father, as we come in contact with your grace and your word and your kingdom, you begin to transform us and change us. Be powerful in us, Lord. Let the love of God and the grace of God flow out of us to every life, whether they deserve it or not. Because we sure didn't. And most of all, Father, among those of us in the body, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for the other. Koinonia, fellowship. Um, help us to do it. In Jesus' powerful name. And everyone said... Guys, thank you so much. It's been good tonight. Have a great week. Come back on Sunday.